sound. Hold for sound. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Horwell. It's the Never Heard of It podcast. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through the cracks. I'm joined in this journey, of course, by Craig Moorhead. Craig, how are you, gentlemen? Sean, I'm doing great. It's a good life we're living, despite anything, you know, the, the sometimes you got problems. But you know what? It's a, it's a new day. Well, it's evening. Tomorrow's a new day, Sean. It is, and it's almost Labor Day, so happy Labor Day. I know you've labored a lot in your life over a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you deserve a day, Craig. Thank you. You do, too. Well, it's fortunate this is built into the holiday schedule, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Uh, would you like to tell people where they can find us online if that's what they want to do on their uh, on their holidays? I would. On Labor Day, you can log in to your favorite internet portal, mm-hmm. and you, you can find us at neverheardpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. On our website, you can find write-ups of the longer episodes that we've done. You can find every episode we've ever done. You can just sit there and listen to them. Bang them out, you know? Yeah. Take Labor Day and just bang them out. It's like binging your favorite oh, series, man. the entirety of it. For real. Like- no commercials. No commercial <laughs> interruptions, Sean. But speaking of, I'd like to have a message from our sponsor. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day, yes. The movie. La- Oh, no. Yep. What was the tagline for that one? That was um, Josh Brolin and Kate Winslet, wasn't it? Sure. Let's say uh, let's say the, the, um, the tagline was, this Labor Day, there's a new labor in town. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Anyway, uh, you can find the actual podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify. And I know on iTunes, you, if you leave a, a, a review, maybe uh, some stars, maybe you subscribe that will help other people find us. So if you haven't done that already, please do. It just makes the whole process so much more convenient. Absolutely. It's always nice to see your feedback. We're going to tee up a movie today. Hopefully you enjoyed last month's shenanigans with Bogey and Bacall and maybe a little guy named John Wayne mm-hmm. Pilgrim. And uh, Ron Howard and Jim Stewart enjoyed The Shootist and In a Lonely Place. You picked a movie for today mm. called I Married a Witch. And uh, I would just like to establish on the record that, yes, you you picked this movie. So Absolutely. I know my wife will be listening. Right. And I just don't want her to read anything into this. No, you, she, you don't feel that way about your wife at all. No, absolutely not. No. Maybe you should just tell us why you picked this movie, or do you want to save that for the full episode? No, I'll go into it. Why not? It's very simple. You, you married a witch. I, I married an actual witch. <laughs> no, I, I like yeah. the title. Criterion came out with a an edition of it a, while, a little while mm-hmm. back. And I really liked the cover art they had on it. And then I saw Veronica Lake was in it. And I was like, I don't know if I really, really ever watched a Veronica Lake movie. Because again, I haven't seen Sullivan's Travels yet. I would say that's the only one that I really know yeah. that I have seen. Yeah. But anyway, so that was that was pretty much it. It's, it sounded like it was probably a fun movie. And uh, I was in the mood for it. Yeah, it does seem like an unlikely title for Criterion. Although they've got their share of B-movies and, sure. and such. But yeah, I, I was curious about this one as well. Let me do a quick synopsis and then maybe you can tell us who made it. Sounds good. A beautiful 17th century witch returns to life to plague politician Wallace Woolley, descendant of her persecutor. Which, that doesn't sound like marriage at all. So, I'm intrigued. Yeah. You did a little research about the makers and actors of this fine film. So, why don't you educate us? I will, Sean. Thank you for the intro. So, the movie is I Married a Witch. 1942 is when it came out. Kind of a kissing cousin of 1942's Casablanca. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Anyway, but this one has many differences from Casablanca. For instance... It was directed by Rene Clare, 
mm-hmm. who also directed Man About Town and The Grand Maneuver. I looked through Renee's filmography, and I don't think I've seen anything of his before. But I will say I liked every title sort of made me feel like that might be a good movie. I kind of want to watch it. So we'll see how I Married a Witch goes. And then maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll just dive right in. Yeah. This movie was written in part by four different people. First of all, Thorne Smith wrote the original story called The Passionate yes. Witch. I have some more info on Thorne Smith and his passions uh, Good. in a little bit. Yes, I, I'm, I'm hoping so. You can fill in my cracks Ooh. in the information. Robert Pirosh. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. He also wrote Go For Broke and Battleground. I Mm. also did not recognize a lot of his credits. But the posters are outstanding. And I recommend anyone uh, to go check them out. Mark Connolly was another writer on it. He wrote Captain's Courageous, a title I am familiar with, but that I also have not seen. Me either. Now, Norman Matson was credited with Story Completion which sounds like something you get kind of at the back of a less reputable like lit agency. You know what I mean? Okay. Also, also wrote something called He Couldn't Say No. I thought that was a great title, but I don't know anything yeah. that Norman Matson did. did you, do you have anything on Norman Matson later? I don't, know. I'm, I'm going to look into this whole story completion thing. It just seems like he'd just be another writer if he just finished the... Anyway. He did the punctuation. Right. That was all. Possibly most interesting in the written by credits is one Dalton Trumbo, yes, a blacklisted artist. He's known for Roman Holiday, Spartacus, and a ton of others. Uh, he had a hand in it, but uh, but he was uncredited. I do have a little on that. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad you do. The producers were Rene Claire. The executive producer was a fellow by the name of Buddy G. Da Silva. And I started looking at his credits because I wanted to figure out what other movies he'd done. He's uncredited on this, at least by my information. But Buddy G. Da Silva seems to be a songwriter because he has tons of soundtrack credits that's weird yeah yeah but he's uncredited and so is preston sturges Mm -hmm. of sullivan's travels fame a movie i've not yet seen that's a good one craig i know i gotta see it but that's why i always tack that on anytime i say the title Mm -hmm. so a lot of uncredited work going on already we're not even to the music yet (laughs) music is by roy webb he did music for Out of the Past, which I've not seen. Notorious, which I definitely have seen. It's a great movie. And the original Mighty Joe Young. DP is Ted Tetzlaff. It's a good name. Yeah, yeah. Ted Tetzlaff. Maybe, probably Tetzlaff. His, the last movie he shot was Notorious. He also shot such movies as Road to Zanzibar, one of those Hope Crosby road movies. Yep. Film editing was by Ida Warren. She did a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes, a movie called The Young Savages. I think that's Burt Lancaster. It's like a motorcycle movie. And a movie called Bulu. That's all O's. Bulu. That's all O's. Bulu. That may be something <laughs> we put that, down yeah. uh, on the old uh, list. And then we jump right into the cast. So our cast, Sean, Frederick March, a name I've heard a million times. And I'm not 100% sure I've ever seen a movie that he's actually in. Nor have I, yeah. Yeah, The Best Years of Our Lives, which is a movie I should have seen, as well as Inherit the Wind, also. Seems like a movie I should have seen by now. Veronica Lake, Sullivan's Travels. Have I seen it? I have not. The Blue Dahlia and a movie called Hold That Blonde. Sound like fun. Has a little exclamation point at the end. Robert Benchley from Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent. Walt Disney's The Reluctant Dragon, which I've never heard of. (laughs) 
And maybe that's one we should do. A Disney movie that yeah, I've never heard of. That's pretty good. And uh, a, a movie called My Tomato. Oh. And f- judging by Excellent. the poster, it seems like he's literally talking about a tomato. I would love nothing more than an entire movie about a tomato. <laughs> Man and his tomato. <laughs> yep. Uh, Susan Hayward from such movies as, aside from I Married a Witch, she's in I'll Cry Tomorrow, I Want to Live, I Thank a Fool, I Can Get It for You host, uh, Wholesale, and I'd Climb the Highest Mountain. That's all serious? Those are all 100% real titles. Wow. Yeah. She's just like, that. she's the go-to if you've got the word <laughs> I in your title, huh? Yeah. If your title refers to the main character uh, in, in the first person. Get her. Yeah. She's not the main character in any of them, probably. No, no. <laughs> she doesn't get to be the I. She's always the I made. Yeah. <laughs> Cecil Kellaway of Harvey and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Elizabeth Patterson, Dinner at Eight. And uh, a silent movie, The Boyfriend. Elizabeth Patterson seemed to have started sometime in the 1920s, I guess. She had a ton yeah, of okay. uh, silent films. Robert Warwick from Sullivan's Travels, which I've not seen, hmm. and In a Lonely Place. He was in In a Lonely Place. I know. I thought the exact okay. same thing. Who did he play? He played Charlie Waterman, and I did not go back to find out who Charlie Waterman was. Was he the drunk? At the bar? Very possibly. He would have been one of the older people. Yeah, because he's born in 1878. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He had to be that guy. That doesn't even sound possible, but yeah. I know. So, yes, we have a little crossover there. Fine. And then there's a solid 50-plus roster of uncredited actors. Oh, my God. After that. And and I went through them, and I didn't recognize anybody. Brendan Fraser wasn't on there? Brendan Fraser was actually two of them. Oh, geez. Uh, But I just didn't want to bring it up. No, I didn't recognize any of them, but again, I'm kind of fascinated by this uncredited. Are they just extras? And if they are, why are they even here being, I don't know. That's a lot of extras. It's even a though. lot of I mean, extras. Yeah, for that time period. It is. So anyway, that is my rundown on I Married a Witch. Sean, what do you got? I got some good stuff, but yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, now I'm curious to see if there's like large crowd scenes or mm-hmm. what. Uh, you mentioned Thorne Smith, the uh, novelist. He had actually died, Craig, in 1934, and that novel was not finished at the time. Whoa. So, yes, it was completed by his friend, Norman Matson, mm-hmm. and was published in July 1941. Story completion. Yeah. Now, he was most well-known for a series of books called the Topper series. Have you ever heard of these? Yes, the ghost, the series about a ghost, right? Apparently, yes. I looked into it a little bit, and it was, I think, at its peak popularity in the 30s, although they came back out in paperback in the 50s and said it was also popular then. Supposedly had a lot of sex. Oh, my goodness. uh, A lot of supernatural transformations, comedy, and most importantly, illustrations so when you have sex supernatural comedy and illustrations yeah I, needless to say they were popular right yeah i'm not i wasn't familiar with that part of it so Rene claire was french as i think maybe you mentioned if mm-hmm. not we we all know this and uh he was looking for something new after he had just made his first american film and the timing worked out that he was sent the passionate witch the novel I don't quite know if he was friends with Preston Sturges or just had a business relationship there. But he he took it to Preston Sturges, who was kind of king of the mountain, at least on the comedy side, I think, at Paramount, who convinced the studio that it would be a great vehicle for Veronica Lake and that Renee Claire should direct it, blah, blah, blah. And Preston Sturges was actually slated to produce this. Mm -hmm. Paramount, all on board. They got the film rights and Dalton Trumbo was hired. And then that Robert 
Piroche guy mm-hmm. was called in to work on the script with Dalton Trumbo, who I think was not seeing eye to eye with Preston Sturgis actually over their interpretation of the novel. I didn't read too far into this because I want to see how it plays, but I think the witch in the book was a little bit darker than the witch in this movie. Interesting. I did read that there was a very notable scene in which she cuts the throat of a rooster in her bathroom, I think. So I don't think those are making it into the movie. I don't think we'll have any SPCA concerns, hopefully. (laughs) Right. And then, yeah, uh, Preston Sturgis left because I guess he and Renee Claire did not see (laughs) eye to eye on the interpretation of it. And it said that he did not want screen credit his career was going to be fine either way or either he thought this was going to be a dud right that's all fine and and well but the reason we're here is veronica lake right darn right they actually were hoping to cast joel mccree opposite her he had been the star of the movie you haven't seen sullivan's travel Mm, haven't seen it he said no and he said no specifically because he did not want to work with veronica lake again i guess they didn't get along too well and so frederick march was hired And guess what, Craig? What? He didn't get along with her either. Good grief. (laughs) In fact, it started before they even began filming. He said in pre-production, and I don't know if this was quoted to the press or where, Veronica Lake has a a pretty infamous autobiography, I think, and so some of this might have just been in that. But he apparently called her a brainless little blonde sex pot void of any acting ability. Yeah, you can see that's maybe not, you're not starting from the best place when you say something like that. That is hurtful. Uh, She in turn called Frederick March a, quote, pompous poser, Hmm. and things did not get much better during the filming. Lake was prone to playing pranks on him. She one time hid a 40-pound weight under her dress somehow (laughs) because there was a scene in which he was supposed to lift her and carry her. That was not easy to do, and she weighed 40 pounds more. It's kind of funny. There was a scene where they were shooting like a medium shot of him, medium close-up maybe, waist up. And I'm guessing she's either off camera or at least maybe it's like over the shoulder or something. And she was uh, putting her foot right into his groin in the middle of the take. Oh. There's a pretty good excerpt about this from her autobiography where she thought it was just the funniest thing in the world and goes into good detail about it. <laughs> I don't think he likes that one bit. They had to reshoot some scenes apparently because of her unprofessional behavior and Frederick March took to calling this movie I Married a Bitch Whoa. after it was all said and done. Not nice. Yeah, we're going to hear hear more puns from folks. <laughs> I didn't know a ton about Veronica Lake, so I looked into a little bit on her story here, Craig. Mm -hmm. She made a big, big splash in the movie I Wanted Wings in 1940. You might guess why. Not necessarily the acting chops, but uh, largely because at one point she bent over or something and her hair slipped over her right eye and kind of either stayed there or it was just a very impressionable shot. She claims it was completely by accident, but that then became her trademark. And that hairstyle ended up being copied by women all over the country. It was often referred to as the peekaboo hairstyle. Uh It was so popular, Craig, that she was actually urged by the government (laughs) to change her hair because so many women had this haircut who were working in war industries during the time that their hair was getting caught in the machinery And it was a safety issue. So she obliged. She changed her hairstyle. And guess what? She became less famous. Absolutely. 
A string of uh, unsuccessful films followed that. She attempted to bring the hairstyle back in 1948, but it seems like maybe that was too little, too late because Paramount decided not to renew her contract, I think, the very same year. But I don't think we can all pin this on the hair. I mean, she definitely had a reputation of being difficult, to say the least. Eddie Bracken, who starred with her in the movie Star Spangled Rhythm, said, quote, She was known as the bitch, and she deserved the title, end quote. Uh, The famous Raymond Chandler, the author, who also wrote the screenplay for The Blue Dahlia, referred to her as, quote, Maronica Lake. Oh, pretty mean. She made some independent films in the 50s. Didn't go well. Uh, Ended up suing the producers for unpaid wages. Around the same time, she filed for bankruptcy and had her home seized by the IRS for unpaid taxes. Yikes. I found an essay on Criterion's website that said, quote, Her mother, who drove young Connie, that was her real name, into the movies as much as any parent has driven a child and who once successfully sued the actress for support told the world her daughter had long been a paranoid schizophrenic, no one wanted to work with her, and she was done in Hollywood by age 26, end quote. Uh, The picture gets a little bleaker even. Um, There was, I guess, a pretty infamous New York Post article in the 60s where the writer had uh, discovered her working as a waitress in a cocktail lounge at a hotel in Manhattan where she was living the story actually drummed up a lot of sympathy and to the point where her fans were sending her money, which she reportedly returned out of pride. And she even got a few like TV gigs out of this. Yeah. She saved up some money and was a co-producer and also, I think, partial financer of her very last film, which was a horror film called Flesh Feast in mm. 1970. But she died three years later on a trip to Vermont where she became ill due to cirrhosis of the liver from years of heavy drinking. Cremated, had her ashes scattered over the Virgin Islands. So, kind of a rough life here and there for Miss Veronica Lake. Yeah. It was interesting to read that about her mom pushing her. I don't know that she necessarily truly wanted to be an actress, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, back to the movie I Married a Witch, which came out October 30th, 1942 in the U.S., which makes a ton of sense, right? Halloween, baby. This was actually one of several Paramount Pictures at the time that was purchased by United Artists for theatrical release, which is kind of interesting. But it said that Paramount had a surplus of films during this era, and United Artists had a shortage. So they just bought them from other other makers. Craig, in Germany, this movie was known as Mein Frau DX. Sounds better. Thanks. Means my wife, the witch. Taglines. These are some, we got some good taglines here, buddy. She's got him, so he doesn't know which is which. Get it? Because witch is. She's. I, I wish they would have said which which is which. <laughs> yeah, they only had so much room on the poster. Yeah, fair enough. She gets what she wants with hex appeal. Oh boy! All right. Um, there's more. Okay. Veronica knows all the tricks, natural and supernatural, and brother, she uses them. I can't read that and not think of Hulk Hogan. And brother. Brother. This yeah. is the last one. Hey, Veronica, got room on your broom for me? Okay. Yeah, you don't, who cares about the characters? Right. <laughs> really just... well, I mean, the, yeah, mo- most of it is just like, come here to look at Veronica Lake. Absolutely. Here's yeah. some eye candy. It worked. It made over a million dollars at the box office, which, you know, was not enough to put it in the top ten. But nonetheless, I mean... I don't, well, I don't know how much it cost, but still, it seems like a, a fair amount in 1942 to, to rake in there. 
1942, Craig, as you are so intimately familiar with, is a year that we talked about in our episode on To Be or Not To Be. Mm-hmm. Man, that movie was so good. I yes. still think about that frequently. If you haven't listened to that tee up, you can go check that out. I'll do a quick reminder of the top 10 that year was Mrs. Miniver, mm-hmm. Yankee Doodle Dandy, Random Harvest, Road to Morocco, Reap the Wild Wind, Somewhere I'll Find You, Holiday Inn, 1942's Casablanca, and Wake Island. Finally, found something about box office in this time period. It's constantly been an issue of just finding alternating reports. I didn't know this, but they said that, um, this is Wikipedia, the box office at the time was reported as a percentage compared to, quote, normal business at each theater. So they said that this year, Mrs. Miniver performed at 244%. So, and then that's why it's hard to find an exact dollar gross. Um, for that period. And if you do find one, it's unreliable. I had no idea. That's interesting. Yeah. I Married a Witch was nominated for an Oscar in the category of Best Music, Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture. The music was by Roy Webb, and he lost to Max Steiner for Now Voyager. Mm-hmm. Good old Bosley Crowther at the New York Times said, quote, The strange and beautiful illusion that Veronica Lake is completely unreal is being quite charmingly nourished in Renee Claire's new film. He also called it, quote, quaint and agreeable nonsense out of an uncompleted novel. <laughs> Good old agreeable nonsense. That's, uh, that's what we all strive for. Guy Madden, who wrote an essay for the Criterion release, said, quote, For that one brief moment of perfection, Claire, Lake, March, and the rest of the lovely doomed escadrille made a constellation of themselves, a briefly coruscating arrangement of immortal all sorts, so beautiful that I want to cry. Wow. That's a pretty fancy, fancy sentence there, Craig. Yeah, it is. Give it up to Guy Madden. Uh, last but not least, some miscellaneous trivia for October 30th, 1942. Three German U-boats were sunk that day, Craig. Hmm. Canadians and the British forces took them down. And oddly enough, thought you might like this, Bing Crosby's song, White Christmas, hit number one on the Billboard singles chart the day after Halloween Day, 1942. Wow. Yeah, so Christmas music showing up on the radio in October, not a new thing, apparently. Yeah, that's uh, maybe we've been uh, whining too much about the Christmas season starting too soon. Maybe. Uh, Soul Sax, who was the creator of the Bewitched classic TV series from 1964, told uh, E! True Hollywood Story that he absolutely drew inspiration from this movie, as well as Bell Book and Candle. 1958. It was fortunate that Columbia at the time owned the rights to both of those movies and was also the uh, television studio that produced Bewitched, so he did not have to worry about being sued. Ah, perfect. And if you look closely, I think there's a character named Tabitha in this movie who was the daughter in Bewitched. Yeah. That's all I got. I'm excited to see this one. I love knowing that the two co-stars couldn't stand each other. I think that's always fun. Always great. If I'm not mistaken, Craig, you said this movie is streaming on Canopy as well as the Criterion Channel. I believe it is. Yeah, and I'm sure you can find it absolutely anywhere uh, that rents good movies. I hope people will check it out. I know literally no one that's actually seen this movie. so Yeah, me either. We'll be the first and probably the last. Mm. Speaking of last, do you have any last words, sir? Uh, I have not seen Sullivan's Travels. Okay, we'll talk next time. Bye. All right.